We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. see all of you. If we haven't met before, my name is Colin. I'm the pastor here at Branches, and I'm just so glad and honored and delighted that you're with us this morning. That clip of Minute Maid hits a little different uh, this partway through the series, and so we're excited about this evening and uh, excited about this past Friday and just glad that you're here on this on this special day. We're in the middle of a series called Now and Not Yet, and really the tagline or the heartbeat of the series is trying to tackle the reality of the world that we live in and then look forward to the hope that we have in Jesus, the preferred future, as we put it, uh, that God has for the whole world, including you and your family and your work and our city and all people all over the world. And so we come to this place with heavy burdens and our attention and our eyes on other places in the world where people are suffering and uh, kind of under oppression and violence. And so we long for that preferred future together. And last week we talked about, with kind of in view, this, this quote or this idea from uh, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, in which he talked about the arc of the universe. And he says, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. So we're going to follow up this week kind of thinking about, okay, it's bending that direction and how do we get there? And also, how do we get from where we were to where we are now? And the way in for us to kind of talk about that today is from Ephesians, this ancient letter that Paul wrote to some really early Christians, some first followers of Jesus. And so we're in the second chapter of Ephesians and we're gonna read the first 10 verses. So hear this from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He says this, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everybody else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ." By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not the result of works so that no one may boast for we are what he has made us created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time carved out and set aside for us to experience you. 
Just ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear something new from you, an encouragement, a challenge, a push to draw closer to you, to be more like you, to share your love with our city and our world, and just ask that you'd help us see with clear vision that preferred future you have for us and for every person. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. If you want to take a moment uh, to check in uh, and just let us know that you're here, if you're a first-time guest especially, we'd love to, to connect with you and let you know what's going on in our community and here at Branches and uh, just want to say hello to you and greet you and also just connect you to other ministries, especially as the fall and when we make our way to Advent, the season leading up to Christmas, we just want to keep you informed about what's going on in the life of Branches. Uh, but as I was saying, we last week talked about this, this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. and this arc of the universe bending toward justice, and a lot of people refer to this as the myth of progress. They're like, if we just like bide our time, if we kind of wait and work together, like things will work out in the end. And in many ways, that criticism maybe has some weight to it. But at the same time, like things aren't all bad. And this is coming from a pessimistic person, you know? Like things have gotten better in some respects and things have become uh, more just and people have become more compassionate and kind in some spheres of the world, though it doesn't always seem so. And one of the things I point to is just like looking at from the, the first century of Christians and the church to now, I just think about like all the things that have popped up, orphanages and hospitals and communities to lift up the lowly and the oppressed and the poor in our communities and people that seek to relieve people from poverty or think about our friends and partners, uh, FAM and the farm that they have at an A-Leaf that partners with refugee and immigrant women to kind of help them navigate living in the crazy city that is Houston. And the ways that, that, that the church, capital C church, Christians from all over the world show up when disasters happen and are on the front lines of seeking relief and care for people in whatever state they happen to be in. So it's not all bad. And the good news for us is we have, we have heroes we can look back on. Like we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like we can never say we're the first Christians to care about helping people in the world. We've been doing it for 2,000 years and there's just too many, so many that we could name that, that, have, that have just given their lives to care for people because of what they believe. And so I was thinking about some of my heroes this week, and again, there's so many, and I shared this with some staff earlier this week too about a guy named Peter Marin. Peter Marin was from France, and then he moved to New York City, and he was part of the Catholic Worker Movement. And he had made a decision, a conscious decision, uh, to live a life of poverty, so an intentional poverty. And uh, frankly, as many reports describe, uh, it showed. <laughs> he maybe had a couple of sets of clothes. Uh, he uh, didn't look like he was a leader in the Catholic Church. And Dorothy Day, if you're familiar with her, she had this kind of crisis where she was a social activist and then she converted to Catholicism and Christianity and she wanted to care for people and still maintain her activism, but also kind of embrace her new Christian faith. And Peter Marin was one of her mentors. There's a few stories to kind of illustrate what Peter was like. Um, he came to a church one time he'd been invited. He was a known speaker and writer and leader and trying to help these Catholic worker communities in New York City care for people that were in distress. He'd been invited to the Catholic worker home in Buffalo, New York. So he went from New York City to Buffalo. And when he got there, uh, the person at the door saw him and what he looked like and said, sorry, sir, uh, we don't start serving soup until five. Uh, and so he left and then when he came back at five, <laughs> as he'd been told, the people that had invited him said, Peter, where were you? Wonder where you were. He said, oh, I, I went to watch Grapes of Wrath at the movie theater until 5 p.m. And he came back and enjoyed some soup. 
Another time, a wealthy benefactor invited him to his home for dinner uh, to kind of hear about the work they were doing through the Catholic worker movement. And so Peter came to the house, but the, the wealthy donor's wife didn't know what this man looked like or who he was. So when Peter came to the door, she was also expecting the plumber. And she thought Peter was the plumber. And she took him downstairs into the basement, and he reports later thinking uh, he was really scared <laughs> and didn't know what was going to happen, that he was being invited and ushered into this wealthy person's home down into the basement for God knows what. But then it was, the mix-up was solved, and the, the wealthy donor came. And he said, no, this is actually our guest, our distinguished guest. He's not the plumber. <laughs> Uh, likewise, he was invited to speak at a Catholic church or preach some Sunday morning, and people knew about him, so they came and they just packed the place out. And the priest, the hosting priest, was wondering where Peter was. The, the pews were full. It was about time to start worship, but they hadn't seen him. And so he got one of his lay leaders and said, would you go outside and look for Peter? Maybe he's lost. Maybe he doesn't know where to go. Maybe he's lost somewhere in the hallway. So the lay leader went around looking, and he went outside the front doors of the church, and he looked out on the street and looked around. He didn't see Peter anywhere. And he came back inside and he told the priest, he said, I looked everywhere uh, and I could not find him. You know, the only thing I could see was some homeless man laying on the bench out front. And the priest said, that's Peter. <laughs> Would you go get him and invite him to come inside? And people didn't expect Peter to look or act or conduct himself this way, uh, but he was just a genius and a leader and a master of understanding the way of Jesus draws you in and invites you into care for other people in a reckless way, as we just described, in an open-handed way, in a way that just pours out whatever resource or energy or love or compassion or care you have at all for others. But a life lived following Jesus is not a life for yourself, but a life lived for others, and that's how he lived his life. And we kind of asked what his project was, like what is, what is it all about, what's the, what's the end goal? Like what are you trying to instill in another person or what kind of reaction are you trying to get out of a person? He said that, what he wanted to do in giving money or food or shelter or clothing to any person, what, what he desired, the desired outcome was to disorient them. <laughs> to disorient them so much, to make them be so taken aback or so just like uh, wondering why a person would be so giving and loving and caring for them that then they would latch their lives onto the life that God wanted for them, to disorient them. And he likened it to an experience I think we've all had, which is uh, you're on vacation or you're traveling for work and you're sleeping in a hotel room or someone else's home and you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, where am I? This isn't my bed. Uh, I don't, you know, this isn't my room. And you start to panic a little bit and you realize I'm on vacation or I'm on my work trip uh, and you kind of come to and you realize. I have a specific memory of this. I've shared before, I'm a twin. And uh, people always ask like, were you guys really close? And I, I always say, like, eventually, we were. <laughs> uh, and we have an older sister, and she would take one of us and team up with one of us to, like, terrorize the other one, uh, of which I was the partner and also the object of terror. <laughs> so, you know, she would kind of pick and choose. And one time we were on vacation, and we had had a long day, and we needed dinner, and we were going to go through, like, a fast food restaurant. I don't remember which one, Burger King or McDonald's or something. And I had fallen asleep, and my sisters hadn't. And when I woke up, suddenly, I was not in the car anymore on the way to a fast food restaurant. I was in bed, and my sisters were awake enjoying their kids' meals with whatever toy it was. For some reason, I have a vivid memory that it was like Hunchback of Notre Dame had come out. So I was like really jealous of the Hunchback of Notre Dame Happy Meal toy that they had received. <laughs> 
Uh, and I remember arguing with my sister. I did not fall asleep. That can't, couldn't be possible. I don't know how you did this, but I did not fall asleep. I did. I was just mad. <laughs> but I finally came to, like, okay, I did fall asleep. It was, it was a long day. But we've all had this, this time, and maybe you can think of one of yourself, or maybe you have children in that moment that you pick up your child, and they're asleep in the car, and then you lay them down, and maybe they wake up for a moment, and they're so confused and disoriented. I think we've all had that feeling, either firsthand or secondhand. And we kind of raise this general question, like, how did I get here? How did I get from the car to my bed? Or how do I get from one place to another? Or that's that weird feeling of it. You fly on a plane from where you have been to your home, and you're like, isn't it weird that we were in such and such place this morning, and now we're here? How do we get here? And this passage in Ephesians, it's preached a lot of times to talk about the faith that we have and that our faith, it's we're saved by, by, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's kind of a center point of the Christian teaching, that it's God's work, it's God's doing, so that we can't boast. So God has done something, and we simply have assented to what God is doing in our life. And not only that, Paul is painting a picture for these early Christians in Ephesus uh, an answer to that question, how do we get from where we were, from our state prior to this, to where we are now? And that's what he's answering in chapter two. He says a, f- a few different things uh, that'll help us answer that question. First, he says, you were, uh, at the beginning, he says, you were dead through the trespasses and sins. So you were in this state of spiritual death, that you were alienated from others and from the world and from God. You were in this specific status. That, that, that's, that's who you were. But then he, he goes on, he draws the timeline out a little bit more. You will be this way or you have become this way. And eventually, individual by individual, community by community, city by city, nation by nation, everyone will be, the world will be in some capacity reconciled to God. Paul's conclusion in that is that uh, it shows God's kindness. That you were one way and then transformed to be another way shows how kind and gracious God is. Because he, he could have left you as you were. He could have left you in the car asleep. But he picked you up and embraced you and set you at rest in him and in yourself and in your status before him that you are loved, that you are valued, that you are cared for. And we then participate in God's project in the world because of that, that transfer that he's made. That he doesn't say, okay, now you're saved. Good luck. Do whatever you want. He lifts you up, embraces you, and then says, okay, partner with me. Walk alongside me. Help me wake other people up. Participate in the work that I have done. And this last bit is he's prepared these works ahead of time. He's prepared good works for us to do, as as this translation puts it, as a lifestyle for us or a way of life. You've been woken up. You've been disoriented. You've been shaken awake. You're now in this new status. You see yourself before God and before others and who you truly are, what really matters about who you are. And that was prepared way before you ever knew it or cared about it or wanted it. It's been prepared for you. It's not like extra. It's the whole thing. God has prepared you to do good works in the world. It kind of begs the question, though, what are, what are the works that have been prepared for us? First, God uses you, and it's this whole thing from beginning to end of the whole human story, to make dead things alive again. And again, we have countless examples of, of churches, of people, of church leaders that, that sought to do just that, that saw something that just looked irreparable, irreconcilable, dead, and by God's grace brought it back to life. Mark DeMoz is a pastor in Little Rock, 
And he's one of those people, and I hope he's not watching this because this is my assessment of him. Uh, he's either going to be seen as like one of the greatest church heroes of all time, which I tend to lean that direction, or one day like we'll see him on TV that he's like laundered money or something. And I say this with kindness and gentleness knowing him because he always has some scheme like, uh, he's always figuring out, like, okay, we're going to use this space for that, or we're going to move these people over here, and we don't have any money for this, but we're going to find a way to pay for it. And it just goes to show, like, the kind of, he's just always going. Like, I don't know how the man sleeps. And the church, the, the church building they meet in in Little Rock used to be a Kmart. And by his telling of the story, he just called up the owner. Somebody doesn't even live in Little Rock. They just own this property and says, I know it's however many millions of dollars. I'll give you 10000 And they were like, sure, you know. <laughs> An abandoned Kmart, now this hub in the city of Little Rock. And then there's like thousands of people every week coming through to be fed and find community, and they see them. They care for them. They love them. They know their names. They see people come in and out. They have an immigration attorney in this building, too, and people immigrating to, to Little Rock, which is a really large number, and help them navigate new life in America. Dead things, an abandoned Kmart, <laughs> turned into a hub of hope in the city. Paul also talks about God as a repurposing God. That again, not only does he take dead things and makes them alive, but he takes the raw material of this life and creates something new. Uh, St. Luke's, uh, the church of which we're a part of uh, as a church family and a family of ministries. Um, it's so funny, there's this book uh, written on the occasion of St. Luke's 75th anniversary, if I'm not mistaken. And in that story, you can read these reports of when St. Luke's was planted. And here, here we are in, in River Oaks area of Houston, which is just busy and, and traffic-y and full of people, a lot of people. That at the time, people were like, why would you want to plant a church all the way out there? <laughs> and then here, Branches is in that same place that this nothing, nowhere land where nobody came is now this hub of, as the activity center of our city moves to the west, people are here and they're in need and they need to be told that they're loved and cared for, that God repurposed this land, this place, repurposed this community to be a place of hope for people in our city. Last, Paul kind of harkens back just implicitly to the creation story that we're partnering with God in the work that he does. And if you look in Genesis 1, in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, God gives the charge to Adam, this first human being, that he's gonna have dominion or rule over the garden and over creation, that he's giving that responsibility to him. And the Hebrew word is radah, so it could mean rule or reign or control or oversee. I read a commentator this week, it's like the raddest definition of radah of all time. He said that God is asking Adam to partner with me to advance history. I'm gonna put that like on my job description. Like what do you, when people ask me, like you're a pastor, other than Sunday, what do you do every week? Like I just partner with God to advance history. Uh, but it's not just me, it's all Christians everywhere that that's the charge, the imperative we've been given that we redaw, we rule over, we hand in hand with God and this is an incarnational thing with Christ, partner with him to advance history. When we ask that question, how do we get from where we were to where we are now? How did whatever our conversion was or our religious upbringing or not being raised religious or whatever else, how do we get from that state to this state? And then the even more, in question, uh, more important question, it's a question my dad has always asked since I was a kid is, so what, now what? Like if that, all that's happened, if we have this new status before God and Jesus, if we've been saved by God and he's given us these prepared works to do in the world, what are we supposed to do now? I think that's the, just the question we have to answer ourselves as a community. 
We have to answer individually. I was listening to John Mark Comer this week and he says, well, however you most occupy your time, maybe it's your work or maybe you're a parent or maybe you're retired and you're volunteering a lot, that's the place where you, where you find out the works that God has prepared you to do. The gymnasium, Paul even uses that word. That it's the place where we, we figure it out together. It reminds me of uh, James Clear, who wrote this book called Atomic Habits. And I know many of you have probably read it. A, a productivity, just like work of genius, really recommend it to you. And in it, he says, every decision you make, small or large, is a vote for the type of person you wanna be. Uh, so then when you do something that wastes time, then you're like, I just voted. <laughs> to be this sort of person. Or when you use a harsh word with someone, I voted to be a harsh person. Or when you are uncaring or unloving, you voted to be that sort of person. You start to pile up. I don't think it just works individually though. I think Ephesians, what Ephesians tells us, what this idea of the reality of the now and the expectation of the not yet really tells us is that we as a community ought to vote for the way we want the world to be. And maybe that vote is by our finances. Maybe that vote is by how we spend our time and energy. Maybe that vote is our, our, our quiet time in the morning to pray and contend with God for the world to be a different way. Maybe that vote is how we raise our children, how we care for children and students in our church. Maybe that vote is just that simple day in, day out, kindness and hospitality we offer a stranger, the handing of a cup of coffee, the handing of a, of a dollar or a $5 bill, the care that we give to a stranger who looks lost and we wanna give them directions. That's a vote as a community of the way we want the world to be. And my vote, so I was thinking about this this week, is with Peter Marin to disorient the world. What can we do? How can we vote? How can we, with our resources, with our time, our energy, with our financial resources, with, with, our, with who we are, with how we conduct ourselves in the world, with how we represent our church and our community, how can we vote to disorient the world that people will wonder, who are these people? Why, why do they give so freely? Why do they take time out of, out of their day to make this world better for others, even maybe at the expense of their own life? That's my vote. And I hope we together as a community, as we look forward to this coming year of ministry, we can say, I, I wanna vote to be a place where everyone feels welcome. I wanna vote to be a place by, by my presence here, to be, to be a place that just dares to reach more people in our city. I wanna vote to be a place where immigrants and refugees, like the, the, the women who work at Shambaya Amani, find a place where they can belong and they can navigate the world and they have companions and partners in that. I wanna vote to be a place that champions and longs for peace and reconciliation in the world. That's my vote. And let's disorient the city to make them wonder why we exist, who we are, and why we so freely give of ourselves that they might wake up. Not that they would agree with us theologically or nod their heads when we say certain doctrinal things, but that they would wake up to the possibility, to the freedom that's offered when we give ourselves for others. To live that life that Jesus says truly is life. I vote for that. Let's do that together, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we just ask that you would instill in our hearts the works that you've prepared for us, before us, before we cared about it or knew about it or wanted it or desired it or even had the ability to partake in them. Enliven us to do them, equip us to do them. Bind us together as a community 
that we together can see a world where all people, though they were dead, are now alive in you. Though they felt that they had no worth, have worth in you. Though that they felt unseen are seen in you. You are more than able, O oh God. Remind us of that even now. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.